Welcome to episode 477 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. We've got a lot to get to, but first, I want to say thank you to the band The Evanstones. They are a surf band based out of Seattle, Washington, and they just released the album 1961. It is a full-length album, and one of the songs is called Shoot Up at the OK Canal. You want to know how it sounds? It's what you're listening to, and it's what they gave us permission to play here on the show. You can find them over at Bandcamp at the-evanstones.bandcamp.com, or just go straight to their website, theevanstones.com. Buy their album, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you, and of course, you'll get to hear this song in its entirety at the end of the episode. All right, so this week on the show, we've got conversations not just with one, but two different Monster Kids, two different conversations, two different kaiju fans. First, you're going to hear from Kyle Yount. That name might sound familiar, especially if you're a longtime listener of podcasts, because Kyle was the man behind the phenomenal Rondo Award-nominated podcast, The Kaiju Cast, which is directly responsible, or maybe indirectly. Either way, they are responsible for turning me into the kaiju fanatic that I am today. And I'll mention that briefly in the conversation I have with Kyle. Now, that's not what we're talking with Kyle about, though. Primarily, we're talking about an event that he is planning right now called Kaiju Conline. We're going to talk all about that. And then after that, Anthony Wendell comes back to the show. And we're going to be talking about a Japanese genre film that has a tiny bit of kaiju in it. That movie is Atragon. And, oh boy, spoiler alert, that movie is cool. So we're going to talk about that as well, as well as catch up with Anthony, see what he's up to, and check this out. We play the Classic Five with both of them. It's two separate games. These conversations were recorded on separate days. So we've got not just a Classic Five, I guess you could call it the Classic Ten, and then of course, I'm always throwing in my two cents for whatever that's worth. So yeah, we got a lot of Classic Five material coming up in this episode too. We also have some listener feedback, both an email, a voicemail, and a YouTube comment. So that's coming in. Also, we have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. You know we can't do an episode without that. Kenny's been knocking it out of the park. He's even joining in the fun with Social Distance Saturday by providing video versions of Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, referencing some of the select movies that we actually show during that stream. You know, I could just sit here and let Shootout at the OK Canal kind of loop a little bit and just because I like the song so much, but there's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get to it. A remote Pacific island where an expedition of world-famous scientists investigate incredible rumors of its fantastic mysteries and discover barren volcanic mountains surrounding strange green valleys. Mammoth caves that breed giant mutations. Vampire plants that devour humans. But most astounding of all, the tiniest women in all creation. Sacred beauties of a lost tribe which worships a monstrous creature. Mm -hmm. 
the secret of Mothra? What is the bizarre spell that awakens Mothra? As these doll-sized girls call to the super god from captivity. Mothra, whose revenge is more devastating than any man-made weapon. Mothra, who defies warplanes. Wrecks ocean liners. Smashes dams and bridges. Mothra, creating hurricanes. Mothra, enveloped in a shell that no human force can penetrate. indestructible, all-powerful, indescribable. What kind of creature is this god monster, Mothra? Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good, real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, The Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all, Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power, power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera, the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera. The Invincible. All right, Monster Kid Radio listeners, I mentioned this last week that Kyle had posted something on Facebook about a Kaiju Con online, Con line. I'm not really sure exactly how you pronounce it. So I thought I'd have Kyle Yount come on and school me on it. Kyle, what's up, man? How's it going? It's going great, Derek. Thank you for having me on. And uh, it is 
Kaiju Con line, technically speaking. Got it. Got it. All right, cool. Well, thanks for uh, spending some time with me. That's all I wanted to know. Uh, well, no, I'm just... <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah. Bye, guys. <laughs> Kaiju Con line. And we, we were talking a little bit about this uh, before I hit record, before we started recording here, that you're doing this online thing because the big convention that you go to, the, the one that I need to go to someday, G-Fest, isn't really happening this year because of what's happened with the virus, the Corona apocalypse and all that other stuff. This yeah. is a separate event, but you want to capture that feel. So let me just say while G Fest is just a convention, anybody who goes to a small fan run convention probably knows this feeling. You go to the show and you're like, wow, I'm surrounded by people who have the same loves that I love and especially if you're into weird stuff like giant monster movies, then that community feeling is a really important part of G-Fest. And a lot of people are going to be missing that, including myself this year. And I thought to myself, there's no reason we can't try to do something special that weekend. And because I've been doing live streamed videos every month with my new show, Collect All Monsters... Um, I plug, thought, plug, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, why not try and at least do like a weekend's worth of panel programming, then we'll just treat it like a live stream that's doable. And you know what else we could do is we could ask all the artists to provide like a bunch of artwork and then link to their own stores. And then we could make it, have a gallery of that stuff. And so I started kind of piecing these things together and just decided that there was enough in this to start an actual event. And so that's where the idea Kaiju Con line came from. I didn't want it to be G-Fest. That G-Fest was very cool with me just saying like, yeah, go ahead. You can invite the vendors. You can invite the artists. We say the more the merrier. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy to keep doing something in the same vein as that convention this year, even if it's just a virtual experience. Sure. And I think... You nailed it. And we talked about this last week on the show with Ron Adams from the Monster Batch that as cool as it is to meet the celebrities and the stars and, and to see the vendors and look at all the pretty artwork and watch movies, the best part about these conventions is, as Ron described Monster Batch, it's a family reunion with people that you didn't know you were in the same family with until you get there. And that's true. I mean, there is a community aspect that builds around these things. The conventions are awesome. I'm not saying Bash or GFS or any of those aren't really worth it. They are definitely worth it. But the best part is afterwards, staying up till three o'clock in the morning, talking monster movies with somebody that you just met. Yeah, absolutely. Like you step into that convention. And I'm sure the same thing for Monster Bash. You can point your body in any direction and you're just going to be like, oh, this is something I love down this way, you know? And the same thing. Oh, yeah. I, I want to do the same thing online, essentially. Have a space where people can say, oh, I love artwork and go off in that direction and travel, find their own rabbit hole of kaiju artwork. Yeah. And, and a lot of conventions are going online anyway. I know Gary Con, the role playing convention, uh, went online. Uh, San Diego Comic Con is going virtual. And now we've got this new virtual event that, you know, no offense. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna be great, but hopefully it only has to be done once. Hopefully we don't have to see the conventions get closed down next year, too. But I'm excited about what you have on offer this year. Hey, thanks, I know man. it's kind of nebulous. I know it hasn't really been set in stone, but just an opportunity to meet with people virtually to talk about giant monster movies. I don't do that enough on Monster Kid Radio, but I love these things so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, man. No, I really want to create a space where people can at least 
know what's going on and know where to go to do some things. And so we're going to have a lot of cool programming happening on different platforms. We're going to have a lot of, um, like I said, artists and galleries available for people to look at. And hopefully we'll have something cool happening with vendors. So if you're just like, man, I would have come to G-Fest and spent some of this money that I've been saving up for kaiju figures. Well, hopefully you could go to our vendor list and find somebody that's got something that you want. And just, you know, we're trying to promote this sort of the community of G-Fest and also the cross promoting of other people that happens at G-Fest, you know, like somebody walks past you with a print. You're like, Oh my God, who did that print? Somebody walks past you with a toy. You'd be like, dude, where'd you get that awesome figure? That kind of stuff is what we really want to happen. Like, and so the, Panels are going to be live streams. We're going to have some videos happening on YouTube and uh, some photo galleries and Flickr and just all sorts of stuff happening all weekend long. And hopefully in the coming weeks, I can even announce some even cooler things because some very cool things could be in the works that I can't even talk about yet. Totally understand, man. And this is good for the vendors, too, to go back to them because they're not making the income they would normally make by going to these conventions. So by giving them a space to kind of highlight what they have to offer and hopefully get some sales their way is going to help them out, too, which, you know, we all want to do. I mean, we want to try to support each other, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's really, I feel really strongly that if we can't do something to help each other in this time where we're all separated by the rules that are in place and what's happening with this pandemic. Like, honestly, I couldn't imagine not trying to do something like this, or at least not trying to get involved with other people at this time of year, you know, especially Kaiju fans, I should say. Yeah. I mean, that's why I do my weekend streamings and, you know, I'm trying to get involved with all these virtual events as well. And I want to talk a little bit more about that and what you're up to, Kyle, but I want to take a quick break. Because there's a game that we play on every episode of Monster Kid Radio anytime somebody comes on. And I can't remember if we've ever done this with you. We, we have not. We, we have, have not? not done this. Yeah, I already know what you're talking about. Yeah. The Classic Five. The Classic Five is a game that we play with everybody. It's a literal deck of cards that I've had printed up. And each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids, or in this case, Kaiju Kids, talking about some of their favorite things. Kyle, are you ready to play? Oh, man, I hope so. <laughs> okay. Well, I am specifically going to pull some from the Kaiju expansion deck just for you. In honor of what cool. you did with the Kaiju cast and and you personally and how you brought me into Kaiju fandom inadvertently, you know, this this is what I want to do. I want to give you some Kaiju cards. Here we go. Card number one. <laughs> uh, totally random. What is your go-to film to introduce somebody to Kaiju films? Ooh, that's an interesting one because I have two, right? So if you're looking at somebody who loves... The classic, uh, maybe the cheesy, maybe the, you know, just the visual look of the 1960s and stuff like that. If you're talking about somebody like that, my go-to is always going to be Monster Zero or Invasion of Astro Monster. Okay. If you're talking about somebody who's maybe younger, doesn't have an appreciation for those older films, Something that they need to see that would be a new one would be Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. I was giggling when I drew this card because I finally embraced my kaiju fandom after going to a screening of King Kong versus Godzilla that you hosted and introduced at the, the Hollywood. So that was kind of my go-to film, and that's probably what I would recommend to people just because of my experiences with it. It is a good one for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you getting up there and uh, talking about the different ballyhoo that uh, 
the the press book recommended people do by like having a drunk person or a drunk monkey kind of yeah. doing stuff and all that. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, that's awesome. The seat selling slants. Yes, that's right. Those man. are my favorite parts of the press books that came out from that era. Oh, I love that stuff so much. All right, card number two. What is your favorite? Oh, I'm going to ask this. I know the answer. What is your favorite non-Toho kaiju? Non-Toho kaiju. Ooh, yeah. Well, you know, I have a long time affinity for Gamera. Yeah. And uh, especially the movies that came out in the 90s, which we've talked about before on your show. Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah, like those movies, they're so amazingly done. And I mean, he has his own legacy. And because I did a commentary on the upcoming Arrow box set, I must also say, Gamera! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I had heard about that. That's awesome. That's incredible, man. I, I love to see podcasters do good and to be able to do some audio commentary. That's amazing. I'll tell you what, man. It was a ton of work. It was way more work than I thought it was because I was doing it by myself. We do, you know, some of the commentaries for fun, for the Kaiju cast, I think we've released five or six. Generally, it's me and some of my co-hosts, and we're just like hanging out and talking about the movie pretty much. And sometimes I have a ton of notes and sometimes I don't. But having no one else there with you means you got to fill pretty much an hour and a half of, of audio dead space with your talking. And uh, I just did a ton of research. I uh, made a ton of notes. I actually wrote a bunch as well. And I hope it comes across really well. And I hope people really, really enjoy what I would discovered, I guess I would say, what I discovered about Gamera 2. Right on. That's, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. All right, card number three, uh, no politics. What city would you like to see a kaiju destroy right now? Oh, my gosh. No politics? Okay, so... Uh, no politics. We, we, we don't do politics on MKR. <laughs> well, you know, I guess I'd like to see more Tokyo destruction. It's been since 2016 since... Godzilla's destroyed Tokyo, and I could see that again. But that's pretty boring, right? No, that's okay. not, hang on. That's a boring answer. I'm going to give you a much better answer. I'm going to give you a location that I'm just not a fan of, and I'm going to say, let's have Godzilla show up on the off the coast of Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all my Miami and Florida listeners. Uh, that was Kyle. Direct your emails to him. At <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hate mail at kaijucast.com. <laughs> Why Miami? Well, what did Miami ever do to you? I don't know. Just I've never. I used to live on that side of the country, and I just was never a big fan. It's okay. A lot, lot of hype for a city that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, card number four. What actor or actress that never appeared in a kaiju film would you like to see appear in a kaiju film? Ooh. Okay, well, I've never thought about this before. But if I could go back in time, it would be Toshiro Mifune. Wow. Oh, my. Ishiro Honda, the director of the original Godzilla, was good friends with Akira Kurosawa. And they shared some of the same actors. And I feel like Toshiro Mifune, I don't know what, the, what it would have stopped him from being in a kaiju movie. But he was like right there towards kind of the end of his career when he easily could have been in a movie. And I, I think he would have been an amazing heroic character in one of the kaiju films of that 1960s era. That would have been just, wow. I want to believe there's an alternate timeline somewhere where that actually happened. Right. Because that would be amazing to, to, for somebody to see. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right on. Wow. Yeah, I, I got nothing to add to that. That's that's fantastic. I love it. All right, final card. What two giant monsters that never had a chance to go at it would you like to see fight it out in a movie? Oh, okay. Well, so the obvious answer is Godzilla and Gamera, right? That's sure. that's what everybody even I really do actually want to see that movie, right? Like I, it's I would not, love to see that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're going to get something similar to what would actually happen in a Godzilla versus Gamera film in the legendary pictures, Godzilla versus Kong. But in terms of monsters that have never battled, I would love to see some of the lesser Toho Kaiju, the ones that don't have like their own movies or don't have a big movie attached to them those guys sort of have their own battle. And uh, the one I remember thinking of most recently would be Manda from 1963's Atragon. Appropriate since that's what we're talking about this week on the show. And 1958's Baran the Unbelievable because it's an aquatic kaiju, sort of amphibious, I should say, kaiju. Huh. I love Varan, and I think you've said before you're on Team Varan as well. You're a big fan of what Varan is, and uh, well, that'd be fun to see. Just more Varan anyway. But with Manda, huh? Okay. I like the idea of two reptilian beasts like sort of battling against each other. No, that sounds great. I like that. Yeah, I always want to match somebody up against King Caesar because there's just something about the look of that dude's face that I like. I, I don't necessarily like the movie that he appeared in. But I like the look of him, and I always want to see somebody beat him up. What? You don't like... (laughs) Oh, you're talking about Final Wars, right? I am talking about Final Wars. You can't be talking about Mechagodzilla. Oh, oh, heck no, heck no. No, I'm talking about Final Wars. I'm sorry. No, I'm not talking... No, no, no. The last time I saw him... Oh, buddy. No, no, no. no. We're still friends, right? We're still good? We're still friends. We're totally good. We're totally good. I thought you were saying you didn't like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from... The oh, original 1974 no, movie. And I no, thought, no, 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 no. Oh, no, Derek, we're going to have to have some words. Yeah, no, that's good. We're fine. We're fine. Okay, good. <laughs> Ooh, started sweating there for a second. No, so that was the Classic Five Kaiju Edition. Kyle, thank you for playing. Ah, my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. We've never done it before with you. Got to get you on here. Now, you mentioned the Gamera thing. I had heard online, I saw some posts that you were doing some commentary for them. So you're doing Gamera 2 from the 90s trilogy? I am going Gamera 2 Advent of Legion, yes, from 1996. Uh, I don't want you to spoil anything that you mentioned in the commentary, because I'm going to try to snatch that up if I can when that comes out, which is what, later this year, right? Yes. I think originally it was supposed to come out next month, but at this point, I'm not exactly sure how far it's been pushed out. I don't think it's been pushed back too far, though. Well, definitely something to keep an eye out for, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can pre-order it through the Amazon affiliate link. That's definitely something I'm looking forward to, and I'm looking forward to anything else you've got coming up. I know that we've put the Kaiju cast to rest, which an amazing run, but you've mentioned your YouTube series that you're doing now, Collect All Monsters. Yes. Is that monthly? That is a monthly show, and we try and add supplemental videos in between the monthly episodes because those monthly episodes are long, two-hour-plus live stream broadcasts there. And it's all about collecting monster toys and monster memorabilia and monster collectibles, really. And you've got a team with you on that. It's not just you. You've teamed up with some other personalities in the Kaiju fandom. Who else is on there with you? I really sort of cherry-picked my A-team with Kaiju collectors that I know. And so um, I picked a grand total of four people to do this show with me until 
they lose steam and I have to get rid of them. No, uh, until they, uh, <laughs> until they don't want to do it anymore, basically. But basically I chose David Dotko, who's my friend from Seattle. He and I have been to Japan several times together and he is a huge collector, a model kit builder, a photographer. Also, uh, speaking of photographers, I chose my Kaiju creator, John Ruffin, who is an amazing photographer and graphic designer and i'm just happy to have him on board plus he's so passionate about the genre and not just the toys but also everything around the genre he's kind of like me in that respect all of us are like that like we have so many facets to us as collectors not a single one of us is the same really in addition to john christine chapin who is a female kaiju collector who i thought it would be really important to have you know, the female perspective in our show. Christine is a crazy collector. She she's has, amazing. Uh, yeah, she's got some really choice pieces and she's got a very keen eye for stuff she likes. And usually the stuff that she likes when she displays it, you're like, wow, that is just gorgeous. Where did you get that? So she's a great, great co-host to have on. And then finally, Leslie Chambers, who has his own Kaiji review channel where he pretty much talks about X plus stuff, but he is one of the most positively infectious people that I know or infectiously positive people, I guess is what I should say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, Leslie's great. So my, my dream team really of, of, you know, Kaiju collectors is what I did. I asked them if they wanted to be involved. Every single one of them said, yes, our first episode was in January. We had sort of like a pre episode zero that debuted in December. But yeah, the show proper started in January and we do it every month. That's incredible. And is that on the Kaiju cast YouTube channel or is it its own separate YouTube thing? It's its own separate YouTube thing because I'm actually going to start creating more content for the Kaiju cast video channel. That's not dead. It's just sort of stagnant for the moment. So where is it just collect all monsters then or where, what's it under on YouTube? Yeah, collect all monsters. Okay. And uh, if you look up, um, yeah, hopefully the tags work. So if you look up Kaiju Collectibles, you'll start seeing us there. But yeah, collect all monsters. We have our own channel. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for that, of course. Kyle, I don't have you on Monster Kid Radio enough. I, I miss podcasting with you, man. I kind of miss podcasting sometimes, but then I step back and I'm like, uh, I look at the, what I'm doing right now with this convention and the show. And I'm just like, wow, well, I couldn't fit a podcast into here if I had to do it all myself. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that before we started recording too. Uh, there's way too many creative projects out there that we want to add to the pile without. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you something that's amazing about the difference between the show I'm doing now and the, the Kaiju cast I used to do? Of course. A, a lot of work went into a, a Kaiju cast episode before I even sat down to record it. But I'd say more work went into it after the fact. I was crazy about editing and, you know, eventually got to the point where I really wanted everything to sound as professional as I could with the podcast. So once I recorded the episode, I would give myself as much time as I needed to make it sound how I wanted it to as long as I didn't extend past my own deadline of the month or whatever. But there was like, work up front, work during, and work after to produce my podcasts. And then now with this show, we do the work beforehand. And I think I mentioned this to you way, way long ago. Now that it's not just me, I have these other four people to also produce their own content and produce their own segments for and contribute their own voice to this whole 
project. So it's less work for me on the regular leading up to it, or I get to spend more time working on my little pieces. And then once the show is on, it's live and done. And I don't have to do anything after that, except worry about the next show. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I know a lot of people do podcasts that way, but that's just never how I approached it. I'm like you. You know, I want to make sure it sounds as good as possible. So I oftentimes will be staying up way too late on a Wednesday night to make sure I can get it out Thursday morning sounding as good as possible. So I totally get it. Um, and I'm learning to do that with video now, too, which may or may not be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> trying to make it look as perfect as possible. Uh, doing a live thing, though, that there's a different energy to it, for sure. And I've enjoyed what I've watched of what you've put up on the uh, YouTube channel. I wish you the best with that, of course. You know, Thank you. I, I want it to be successful. I want the Kaiju Cast YouTube channel. I want you to be successful, my friend. Thank you, man. I'll just say that. Much, much, much back at you, too. <laughs> and I really want this convention to be successful. Oh, you like that segue, huh? I love that segue. I really effective it. when I point them out like that. The <laughs> Kaiju Con line, Con line, Con line, Con line. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. Will there be a separate website for it, or should people just follow you on Facebook? Where's the best place to find info? Okay, so right now what's happening is we're sort of working up the website. It's just a page. You can go to kaijuconline.com, and there is a page that just says coming soon. July 11th and 12th. We are in the process of organizing things and firming up ideas. And within a week, I should have a lot better framework in my brain, at least, if not on paper and being worked on. But the idea is that kaijuconline.com will be a portal. And you would go to that portal as if you were sort of going to the convention and you'd basically choose what you want to do from that portal. Do you want to check out the artists, check out the galleries, check out some of the video streams? We're going to have links to everything and hopefully links from those things to other things if they involve people doing other things so that it's all sort of a big weekend of cross promotion. Like I said, we're going to have different things happening on different platforms. It's going to be all happening in different areas, but that portal, kaijuconline.com, is where we're going to have all the information about schedules, rosters, etc. And the last question I have for you before I let you go, because I know we have a meeting to prep for here in a couple of hours, will it cost anything? No. The whole idea of this is that I didn't want to have any money happening, so everything is being done volunteer-wise on my own end, on my friend's you know, their, their time, it's just all volunteer work so we can have a cool thing happening. We don't want anybody to have to pay to enjoy this. And we also want people from around the world who don't normally have the ability to go to G fest to see the kind of programming, the kind of stuff that G fest normally does, but in a virtual setting. And maybe that might actually convince somebody that they need to take part in the live experience in person next year, hopefully next year, you know, there you go. Well, that's, the best part is that it's going to be free. Okay, maybe not. The best part is that we're going to be able to meet a bunch of new people there. <laughs> the best part is that I get to go, okay? I'm going to be able to go to this G-Fest-like event for once. So I'm looking forward to it, Kyle. And as we get any more information about it, please don't hesitate to drop me a line and say, hey, uh, can I come on and talk about this or that? Because I want to promote this as much as I can. Thanks, man. It's much appreciated. And yeah, like I said, July 11th and 12th, it's all going to be online. KaijuConline.com. Listen to that. Listen to that, guys and gals. You got to go. Kyle, thanks again, man. Thank you. 
That's kaijuconline.com. There will be a link in the show notes. And like Kyle said, right now, it's kind of a bare bones site. It will ultimately become a portal for everything that's going to be happening during the Kaiju Conline. It's happening July 11th and 12th online. It looks like Monster Kid Radio, or at least I'm going to be involved tangentially. And as soon as I know more, I'll make sure that you guys and gals know more. So go check that out. Also make sure you follow up with Collect All Monsters on YouTube as of right now. They've got 25 videos for you to catch up on to see what's going on with Kyle and everybody else that's involved with the Collect All Monsters YouTube series. Kyle, thank you so much. And I meant it when I said earlier, I miss podcasting with you, man. I know we didn't do a lot of podcasting together, but the few times that you had me on the Kaiju cast, it meant a great deal to me. I really appreciate it. And if there's any way we can collaborate on something down the line, dude, I'm all in. Two giant monster films, The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero. See the two mighty Gargantuas battle to the death. And on the same program, Rodan and Godzilla join forces to destroy the deadly Monster Zero. The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero. Both in color. Rated G. General audience from United Productions of America. A subsidiary of DEI Industries. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Yes, sir, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. When modern Navy scientists defy the unknown mysteries of the past, perpetuated by centuries of native beliefs, Then nature strikes in all its vengeance in. Barath, the unbelievable. For generations, the legend was passed on. They said Baran was there, deep in the still water. They said, let Baran sleep. That lake water is going to be contaminated after we finish the tests. It'll probably affect the fish, too. We just can't take any chances. But those people have depended on their lake for their livelihood all their lives and their parents before them. Anna, now should we be this concerned about a handful of people when we might perfect something that could benefit all mankind? Hmm? All right, Jim. But the Navy commander would not heed their warning. He moved forward, ever searching, ever probing, deeper and deeper, until it was too late. Baran rose from the depths slowly, unrelentingly, to wreak its vengeance on a civilization that wanted to know too much. Tumultuous. Terrifying. So awesome it will shock you to the core. Buran, the unbelievable.
What number is this? What am I calling? You're in the feedback section of the show, and we have some feedback this week. This is an email that we received from animator Ryan Langill. Ryan says, here's what I wanted to share with any listeners who live in or feel like driving to Pennsylvania. The Mahoning Drive-In. I wonder if I pronounced that correctly. The Mahoning or Mahoning Drive-In in Lehighton is open and has some highly monster kid friendly events announced july 24th through the 26th they will be showing beasts from 20,000 fathoms cue the winged serpent valley of guanji monstroid king kong versus godzilla war of the gargantuas the mighty peking man the giant gila monster forbidden planet and house on haunted hill holy cow and if you're the type of person who flips their wig for 35 millimeter like me you deserve to know that the drive-in only shows film they will also have their annual universal monster weekend in september and it's always worth following their schedule if you are within driving distance there's a very good 2019 documentary on this theater available on amazon prime it's called at the drive-in if you can't make it I suggest giving the documentary a watch and feel good knowing that this special place is out here and thriving. And if you don't live in Pennsylvania, you have an opportunity to get a virtual taste of the famous Blob Fest and support the Colonial Theater July 10th and 11th. Thanks again for the wonderful show, Derek. As always, Ryan. Ryan, thank you for sending that in. I'm going to look into this drive-in. I'm sure they've got a website or a Facebook or something, and I'll make sure there are links in the show notes. But holy cow, all those movies, 35 millimeter too. That's amazing. So cool that the drive-in still does 35 millimeter. I know that a few years ago when all the studios were getting rid of their film prints and everything going straight digital, a lot of drive-ins were worried about whether or not they're going to be able to show anything and had to get rid of their equipment to make room for the digital projectors, that sort of thing. So to know that they still have their 35 millimeter projector is really cool to know. And oh man, if I was out there, you know, I'd be setting up camp in that drive-in all three days. I'd see if I could sleep there. Just, you know, it sounds amazing. And in September, Universal Monster Weekend, that sounds so cool too. I think I've seen at the drive-in, I'm not 100% sure though. I'm going to double check if it is what I think it is though. If, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's a good documentary. Ryan, I want to thank you for writing in. You mentioned the Blob Fest going virtual as well. And you're not the only person who mentioned that. Over on YouTube, Joseph Kulikowski, he's been on the show before. I met him at a Monster Bash a couple years ago. Uh, he mentioned that Blob Fest is going virtual this year as well. So I went ahead and I looked into it. Head over to thecolonialtheater.com and they spell theater with an R-E at the end. And of course, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. But if you hop over there and do a search for Blob Fest, you'll find Blob Fest 2020, the home edition. It's for two days, July 10th and the 11th, like Ryan said. Tickets are $25. Here's what you get for your ticket. They're going to show the blob three times, so you can catch that. Plus, they'll be showing a bucket of blood, Little Shop of Horrors and House on Haunted Hill. Plus, there are the Shorties short films. Somehow, they're doing a Miss Blobfest 2020 in an annual costume contest. Not sure how they're going to do the runout. Normally, they do the runout event where they reenact that scene in the blob where the blob hits the movie theater and everybody goes running out. And as I'm talking, actually, I'm seeing it now. It looks like they have a Facebook page set up where you submit a video of yourself running out of your home. About 5 to 15 seconds in length. Costumes are encouraged, but optional. Record in a horizontal orientation. Send your video into them. And you'll have a chance to appear in the Friday night stay-in show. Listeners, do me a favor. If you're going to do this, if you're going to participate in the 
home run out. Maybe wear a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt and let us know that you were there. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this. Ryan and Joseph, thanks for letting me know about that. I appreciate it. Joseph left a comment on a YouTube video, and Ryan actually emailed us. You can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. That email address will be listed on our website, of course, as well. We also have a voicemail line where people can call in and leave voicemails for us. That phone number is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. And previous guest who was just on the show a couple of weeks back, Paul McComas, called in with this. Greetings, MKR. It's Paul McComas. Wishing you well, as always. And thanking you, Derek, your and Steve's great conversation about one of my favorite bad horror films, Dracula vs. Frankenstein. This is a little belated, but it took me a while to listen to it last week. Um, I wish that you all had spent a, a good 15 minutes deconstructing the song I Travel Light because I think that the key to the film uh, lies therein. Also, when you and I, a week or two later, uh, talked about Isle of the Dead, I wish that we had had a chance to play that song and talk about how General Ferides and Oliver do indeed travel light to the Isle of the Dead, not knowing they're going to be staying there for a while. So please play as much of this as you're willing to. <sighs> I'd have a father with things I could leave behind me If all the fun's inside am, that's where I am Sure to be Cause I travel light, light as a feather So Paul actually texted me and called me about this bloody song once he heard the episode in which Steve and I talked about Dracula versus Frankenstein. When I recorded with him for Isle of the Dead, he mentioned this song. And now he's calling in about this song. Well, fine. Here's that song. When I talk from the wall, but why do you carry your telephone? When I leave home, to get a call. See what I mean? We decide to travel to France. I hardly think that I'd refuse. But if we give Alaska a glass. I brought along my jeweled snowshoes. I'm even ready for Africa. The guns are in there right now. But there would be work in Africa. There's only one place, the Hilton Mau Mau. Guns? Right. You brought snowshoes? Uh-huh. You brought television stuff? Of course. Champagne and telephone? Champagne and telephone. Oh, my gosh. I forgot my clothes. Wow. Like I said before, I never take any more, more than necessary. Yes, you travel like. I never take any more than you two can carry. the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. 
Frankenstein conquers the world. Spreading panic as millions flee his vengeance. Frankenstein towering over cities, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein, a name never equaled in the annals of terror. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate. With the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures. Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth Game! Good! And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. Our planet may be doomed, our Earth devastated, the monsters are in revolt, and civilization is in chaos. Godzilla is laying waste to New York, Rodan is attacking Moscow, Manda is smashing London, and Peking trembles under the wrath of Mafra. Our battle cry must be, destroy all monsters. Monster, monster. Who can say which country or city will be next? We must unite and destroy all monsters. Is there a way to defend against Godzilla, Rodan, Manda, and Mothra? The answer is no. Let our battle cry be, destroy all monsters. Be prepared. See for yourself in color from American International. Destroy all monsters. 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 This picture is rated G for general audiences. Destroy all monsters. 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 Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. up to issue 25 with our issue-by-issue look at movies featured in their own articles. On the cover, we are promised a giant article on King Kong. Let's take a look at FM 25 from October of 1963. The first film mentioned was Premature Burial. It was five pages long and had eight pictures. Here's what the article was about. After Charles Beaumont and Ray Russell signed a contract to create the shooting script for The Premature Burial, Their first act was to go to their mutual bookshelves and remove their copy of The Complete Poe for the purpose of rereading the story they were to work into cinema form. We were in for a shock, reports Russell, but not the sort one usually expects to receive from a Poe yarn. 
Unlike the stories that formed the basis of the two earlier AIP Poe films, House of Usher and Pet and the Pendulum, this story was not really a story at all, more like a formal essay on the disadvantage and general undesirability of being buried alive. And so we had to build the whole structure from the ground up, plot, characters, and dialogue, while retaining the essential elements of Poe's piece, namely the obsessive terror of premature burial. In the picture, as filmed, there does remain one passage taken verbatim from Poe. It is the speech of Guy Carrell, Ray Milan, down in the family vault, beginning, The endurable oppression of the lungs, the stifling fumes of the damp earth, the rigid embrace of the coffin. In an earlier draft, however, we tried to get in more of the Poe original. Considerations of length made it necessary to jettison several scenes, but perhaps the readers would be interested in reading the following sequence, which did not reach the screen they will recognize it as being derived directly from Poe. The script excerpt is presented straight up as a formatted screenplay. It describes a flashback Ray Milan's character narrates. Here is the shocking ending of the girl buried alive story. The door swings open more quickly than expected and shockingly into the lawyer's arms falls a ghastly skeleton dressed in the moldering remains of a bridal gown and wearing a diamond tiara. Close up, the grinning skull with tiara. Ripple dissolve, end of Guy's narrative in effect. Close up, Guy, against picnic scene background as before. She died there against the door, you see, and thus she remained until she fell, rattling into her husband's horrified embrace. The article concludes with this brief review of the film. Edward John Carnell, England's foremost fantasy personality in his leading periodical, Science Fantasy, praised the picture as one of the best of the new style attempts at producing a creepy movie without the laugh lines coming in at the wrong places. It stands out for good acting and directing, and my credits go to Beaumont and Russell for a fine working script. Closing scenes are tense and dramatic and cleverly filmed. Next up is a fan-made film, I Was a Teenage Mummy, which sets out to make fun of the current monster movies. The article was reprinted from Life magazine. It was a four-page article with seven photos. It was made by a 21-year-old filmmaker with a cast of kids for a little under $400. The article covers many production details. I looked it up on the internet, and it's out there somewhere with an introduction by Forey, but I couldn't find it online. It is listed in Letterboxd and in IMDb. After the article, a homemade movie contest was announced. King Kong is next, a film book describing the plot of the movie. It is 18 pages with 29 photos and is the first of two parts. The last film covered was a 1912 silent version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It consisted of a picture and one-page article which had an interview of one of the actors from the film, Harry Benham. The picture was a one-reeler made in New Rochelle, New York. James Cruz played Dr. Jekyll. His wife, Marguerite Snow, was the leading lady and Cruz and I took turns playing the villainous Mr. Hyde. The picture was directed by Lucius Henderson. As Cruz and I were the same size, we could wear the same clothes and wig, but we did not use the same false teeth. We had separate sets, which we kept attached with the same powdered mastic that denture wearers use today. What I remember most about the making of the picture is that we were constantly changing clothes after about every scene. In those days, pictures were turned out like a butcher grinds out sausage. Sometimes it took only three days to turn out a one-reeler, but this one was slower because of the delays in changing the characters, so it lasted over a week of filming, much to Tannhauser's chagrin. 
That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Kenny, once again, you knocked it out of the park, my man. Here's the thing that caught my interest the most, and I think you kind of know what I'm going to say here. I was a teenage mummy. You know, one of the things that I like doing when I look at old issues of Famous Monsters of Filmland, as well as some of the other magazines of that era, I think Castle of Frankenstein did this as well, where they would cover these amateur films created by, well, for all intents and purposes, the original Monster Kids. And every time I stumble across something like that over at like archive.org or some of the various video streaming sites, Man, I'm just so ecstatic to find it because these are things that are just so rare. It's like this cinematic archaeology that you're kind of getting into. And I did go ahead and start doing some digging myself before I was a teenage mummy. I have a couple of leads. I did read the review that somebody left of the movie over on Letterboxd. And I found him on Facebook. And turns out he's an author of like horror and superhero fiction as well. So seems like he and I probably would get along. I went ahead and I'm going to reach out to him to see if he still has a copy of it. Also, I did find a retailer called DVD Lady online. Now, I don't know anything about DVD Lady. If anybody out there knows anything about this company or this website, please let me know. But it looks like I might be able to pick it up from them as well. But I can't really find anything on their website to really tell us who this company is. So... Maybe. Fingers and tentacles crossed we can get our hands on this. Listeners, if you ever stumble across anything like this out there in the wild, whether it's YouTube, archive.org, uh, Daily Motion, Vimeo, any of these places, or you just happen to have some of this stuff in your own personal collection, please reach out to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. I love this stuff, and more importantly, I love sharing this stuff with you guys and gals. It's just this unique facet of monster kiddom that I wish more people had access to. Thank you, Kenny, for bringing that to my attention. And, of course, thank you for the rest of the segment as well. Premature Burial. I don't think we've talked about it here on the show yet. It's something that we definitely need to do at some point in the future because I kind of dig it, man. Buried within the uncharted depths of waters surrounding a group of islands off the 50th parallel lies man's most formidable challenge. Awesome awakening of prehistoric monsters long thought extinct. Science was baffled and powerless. A terror-stricken humanity knew that it was on the brink of total destruction. A once proud civilization now had to place its trust and hope in Godzilla and his powerful ally, Robot Man. They would fight this evil in a duel to the death. Battling by day, battling by night. It was more than a race against time. This war was an all-out effort whose ultimate purpose was to save our planet from total destruction. Now came the moment of truth. The ultimate battle. Titan against Titan. 
giant against giant in the most spectacular battle yet. To see it all in Godzilla versus Megalon. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Out of the polluted waters it came to become the most fearful menace that ever threatened mankind. <laughs> Feeding, growing ever more deadly on smog, only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla! Godzilla versus the smog monster. Will Godzilla, man's friend, be vanquished? This is Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. The last time we had this guy on the show, we talked about Manos the Hands of Faint and Santa Claus. But that's not what I know this guy for. I know this guy for all things Kaiju. It's our guy. Anthony Wendell. How you doing, man? Glory to the Mu Empire, whose light of wisdom radiates from the divine serpent Manda, who, I mean, I'm not a spy. I mean, hi, Derek. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Nice. Man, it, it's been a little while since we've had you on and way too long since we've talked about any kind of Japanese genre cinema or tokusatsu. Would you consider Atragon a kaiju film? I mean, I guess there's a little bit of a giant monster. Manda doesn't have as much appearance as he is, but at the same time, he's there enough and is enough of a plot point that you can almost compare this to Beast of Hollow Mountain that we watched together in terms of, you know, screen time. But in the comparison, though, the Beast was the titular character, but I think Manda is the bigger plot point, really? You know what I mean? I think so. I think so. And yet there's still this air of the kind of threw Manda in to say, hey, we got a giant monster too. You know, because it almost didn't feel like it was 100% required to go that route. Yeah, especially watching it this time. I mean, I was familiar with Manda. I had seen um, what's the Godzilla movie everybody doesn't like? Of course, Final Wars. 
That's it. Yeah. I know Mond is in the beginning of that. Mond is in the beginning of that. And he does turn up or it does turn up in Destroy All Monsters too, right? Yes. I mean, I know it's part of the kaiju canon, but anyway, we're getting a little kind of into the weeds. I just want to tell you how awesome it is to have you back on the show to talk about something that I know you love and you've helped to further make me love. Just There's just something contagious about these movies when I talk to you, man. I'm doing my job then. You're doing God. Zilla's work. Ha! That's what you're doing right there. Nice one. <laughs> like I said, at the beginning of this, we had you on last to talk about Santa Claus and Manos. That's because, and listeners, you've probably already heard the promo if I've played it by now, but if I haven't, I'll play it afterwards. Anthony's the man behind a mashup novel of epic proportions. <laughs> How's that going? Well, unfortunately, you know, this year has had a couple setbacks for everybody, but when the Kickstarter didn't go through as I wanted to at the end, tail end of last year, I told myself, I especially made sure to promise to those that were following that I would go the Amazon publishing route. And it was a bit tricky, you know, when you you're the only one getting help, uh, you and your wife, who you drive crazy mm-hmm. because she's trying to help uh, use her graphic design skill on your touch screen. <laughs> she's not used to it, and <laughs> she's pulling her hair out. But I'm generally satisfied with the overall product. You know, I would have loved the Kickstarter goal to have been able to send it to a bigger publisher and get the insert images as well into the book from the artist. But at the same time, it's pretty good overall. There's a review by our good friend uh, Jonathan Inbody. Excellent. Yes. And he gave it a five-star review. So there you go. I, man, five stars? I was just like, whoa. That honored. The book, of course, is Santa Claus Conquers Manos, The Hands of Fate. You can pick it up as a paperback or a Kindle edition. You don't have to have an Amazon Kindle device to read the Kindle edition. The software is free to put on your iPad or whatever other tablet you have. And Monster Kid Radio approves. I mean, look at that cover alone. The cover is a work of art, and the story is just fun. And Jackie actually did the forward, so there you go. Oh, yes. She is awesome. So, yeah, uh, listeners, check it out and uh, maybe stock up now so you can get your Christmas shopping out of the way many, many months ahead of time. When Anthony is not working on novels combining two of the greatest films of all time, uh, he's got his head firmly in the kaiju clouds. And when we were chatting the other day, we had plans to talk about Daimajin. My disc is scratched and I can't get it to play. So he brought up this title as an alternative to cover. And we're going to get to that. But first, you know, there's something we got to do. I think I know. The Classic Five. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a card game that we play every week. We have somebody on Monster Kid Radio. It is a literal deck of cards. And each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids talking or keep them talking. Anthony, are you ready to play? the classic five let's start card number one. Oh, and this uh by chance comes from the kaiju expansion not planned at all what kaiju suit do you wish you could try on for a day easy uh, that would be the uh godzilla suit from godzilla versus biolanti really okay what, what's special about that suit that makes it the one you want without a shadow of a doubt it's one of the best entrances into the film godzilla has period in Godzilla vs. Biolanti, a terrorist organization has uh, set charges around the volcano where Godzilla is held up and sleeping. When they detonate, the effect is just incredible. It's like he's a demon coming out of uh, the bowels of hell itself. It's just got such a cool, iconic look, and I'm just like, whoa. 
you know, I haven't watched that one in a while. So now, uh, now I kind of want to watch it again just to kind of get that scene because that sounds amazing the way you describe it. it makes it sound like something I haven't seen before, even though I know I've seen the movie. Right on. It's one of those things you got to revisit. It's just so good. Yeah, I've still been meaning to sit down with my Criterion collection of the Godzilla movies I got last year and still haven't broken open yet. So That's actually what I've been doing so far this year. I mean, first I got through that. Then I got through, finally, after taking far too long to uh, get through it all, my Universal Horrors collection. Excellent. And now I'm currently making the rest of the year the year of Ultra. I'm working on Ultra Q. Oh, yeah. I'm working on Ultra Q right now. Yeah, what do you think? You know, I thought I wouldn't like it because I'm not a fan of uh, shorter stories, but even though they're not as defined, you know, the cast that just kind of like stumble upon all these giant monster events happening, it's good. It uh, it really has some stuff. I actually got to the Baron Spider episode. Oh, that's a good one. And you know my hatred of giant spiders, and yeah. <laughs> he got me, man. I know it just, yeah, I know the rest of the body, I know it looks prop-like at some angles, but other angles, especially with those fangs and how it looks like a gi- actual tarantula, I was like, ah, uh, uh, okay, not, not cool, not cool. Kill from a distance. <laughs> uh, I love me some Ultraman and Ultra Q being kind of the precursor to that. I love Ultra Q. So I'm, I'm excited that you're getting into it. That's great. All right. So card number two. Uh, here we go. What classic monster movie needs a novelization? I think I'd have to say The Creature Walks Among Us. Just because we could finally have some kind of uh, continuation or ending, hopefully, where the scales regrow and the creature does not uh, perish as he heads out to sea. It's an interesting choice. I, I think that movie is pretty underrated to begin with. I think there's some really neat stuff happening beneath the surface on that. As I was cracking the uh, box, I had seen both the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon and uh, the creature returns and watching the creature walks among us for the first time from what people had said, you know, I put my expectations low and I was very entertained with what I saw with the budget and stuff, they didn't have the creatures much, but there was still enough world building through the, what they set up of the expedition, the people going out that these, they, they know of the monster. They have plans for it. They want to milk it. The internal drama of the two scientists and the one that wants the other ones, that's his wife, right? Not, or was it fiance? I thought it was wife, but I'd have to go back and rewatch. Darn. And it's amazing how that amount of drama is able to weave everything together so well. That's one of the things that I really love about this movie is that there's all this great human drama near love triangle stuff going on underneath the surface of a monster movie. And it's great. And it's something that I really wish more people would watch and give a chance. So I'm so glad you liked it, man. It's great. Oh, yes. Right on. All right. Card number three. This comes from the second core deck that's in production. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster or the mummy. Wait, wait. When Karloff was the mummy, was he the first mummy or Karas? He was the first one, Imhotep. Oh, I love Frankenstein is my universal monster, but Imhotep, man, he he was just, he was on fire as Imhotep. He was manipulative. He was evil. He was plotting it. He steals the scene every scene he's in. I, I got to go with Emotep. He does seem to have more to do in that film. I've never seen a Karloff performance I dislike, so it's kind of hard. I'm glad I'm not the one that has to answer. All right. <laughs> what was that, card number three? Okay, yep. card number four. Who would really win in a fight, the Wolfman or Dracula? Dang. 
I always want to go straight to Dracula because, you know, he's always so overpowered. But at the same time, the wolf fan, they are both bound by nighttime fights. I mean... Mm, good point. Good point. Uh, I gotta, I don't, gotta go with Dracula just because he is smarter. You know, the Wolfman becomes too primal. To fight Dracula, you have to exploit his weaknesses. The plethora of them that there have been over the years. Garlic, silver, uh, running water, uh, depending on what in, what version you're using. And right. the, the Wolfman's not going to do that. He's just going to charge in head first and try to go for the jugular. And you, you can't go for the jugular with Dracula. you got to be more strategic. It's a very well-reasoned argument. I'm not going to fault you there at all. All right, final card here. Who's your favorite mad scientist? I think we've talked about this before. Uh, Have you had this card before? Do you want to do a different one? No, 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 no. I meant just of who I love. I mean, Pretorius. I thought we've. I thought I've talked about my love of Bride of Frankenstein, talking about yeah. Doctor Pretorius, because we. I thought we had the conversation of you saying people look at that scene as being too comical when he brings out the homunculus. I look at it as he keeps little people in a bag. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Okay, you did this on a whim. Oh, wow. Uh, and we're just having drinks together. Man, um, um, waitress, check. We're not in a restaurant. Waitress, <laughs> check. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's, yeah, yeah. Pretorius was so underused, man. I would have loved to have seen more Pretorius. I, I don't know how you'd get him out of Bride of Frankenstein considering how that movie ends, but still, I would have loved to have seen that character do more. Well, the trick is, you you know, you could do it, but, you know, how did Pretorius would do it? You would need a Pretorius-level uh, skill of, you know, basically putting Pretorius's head in a jar, but then Pretorius would be the only one to do it, so you're kind of in a, you know, what comes first, chicken or the egg kind of situation. Uh, good point. Good point. All right, well, that was the Classic Five, and as always, it's always fun to play, and having somebody who's got a slightly different background when it comes to these monster movies play, it's even more fun, so thank you for entertaining me at the very least. Yay. Atragon, the ninth wonder of the world. Atragon, an earth mover. A flying fortress. A submarine. Atragon, technology's newest, fights all the powers of black magic. The mysterious submerged continent of Mu attacks our world. I am agent number 23 of the Mu Empire. This earthquake is not accidental. Terror panics civilization as cataclysmic forces clash. Atragon in color. All right, let's talk about the movie this week. We're talking about a movie that is Japanese. It's from Toho, directed by Oshiro Honda. Special effects by Subaraya. So it's got all the earmarks, all the background personnel that you would come to associate with Godzilla and all those other films. But it's really not a giant monster attacks a city kind of movie. It's really more of a sci-fi adventure. It's Atragon, and it came out in, what, 1963? 
Derek, you disappoint me. You name all the big stars, and you forget, with your love of the music soundtrack, not giving a shout-out to Mr. Akira Fukube. Come on, man. I was going to go there. You know I wasn't going to let this episode end without mentioning it. Uh, This is actually one of the more exciting scores for me. I think I have this on CD around here somewhere. I love what Fukube does. I really do. But let's be a little honest. Sometimes some of his scores start to sound kind of samey-samey in spots. And that's okay, because it's all great. And if you're going to be samey-samey, you might as well be good at it. But there's some stuff in the Atragon score that is a little removed from that, which makes me like it even more. Well, it calls back to his uh, time in uh, in military, where he did military marches uh, during the war. So there is that, which makes sense, considering the military is a big part of the story here, or at least former military that have revolted. Now, I watched this movie subtitled. How did you watch it? I gotta go subtitled too, just because I feel like it needs to okay. be that way. Especially with the captain having such a nationalist pride. I started a little bit dull, but I was like, eh, no, I need to hear this uh, subtitled in Japanese. Now, I know that it was released dubbed here in the States. American International brought it over. And my understanding is that their particular cut, very minimal changes. It's not like a Godzilla or Varan, the unbelievable kind of updating where they put in a whole bunch of extra scenes it might have just been cut a little bit differently but that's about it the story itself seemed to be intact although this is the first time i watched it so i don't have any comparison to what the dubbed version looks like so if if you have any insight on that or any listeners i'd love to know more now where do we want to start here by looking at this i mean there's so many ways we can look at it looking at uh the mu empire itself you know i kind of want to push it back just a little bit and get the stuff out of the way before we start gushing about the Atragon itself and the go or AKA the Gotengo, because that is one awesome machine. Oh yeah. I would love, and I'm sure they've made models of this. I'm not a big model collector per se, but I would love a big model of that because it's just gorgeous. Oh yes. Although I'd break it because, you know, I'd be picking it up and running up and down the hallway going, wee, you know, so I'd drop it and then, but well, anyway, it still looks great. Nice. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll gush about that. I'm sure the story with this is really kind of a little bit more next level than I was expecting when I first started it up. I mean, there's this stuff with the Mu empire and there's the, the, the break in the military and, and some commentary about, or, or some conversation about why the military had to be dissolved or at least, uh, the Navy branch of it and the, the what happened as a result of World War II and all that's kind of mentioned in there. There's a father-daughter relationship. There's some espionage stuff kind of sort of going on here. It's just got a lot to offer. Oh, it does. It works on so many levels. I mean, they got a great dynamic where you got, uh, you know, talking about the father-daughter, the father, the captain, Captain Jin Guji. Captain Jin Guji and his da- estranged daughter, uh, Mikado, who he left uh, in the hands of his rear admiral who raised her as his own daughter and it's amazing how he changes for the good but when he you first are introduced to him wow i want to throttle this guy i mean straight up he barely gives any reaction to the daughter he hasn't seen in 20 years he's insisting he will not hand over the atragon or gotengo to the un despite their insisting they need it to fight against the Mu Empire because it will help create and save Japan, while at the same time, Japan is one of the main countries being hit by the Mu attacks, including earthquakes and the spies they are sending in to assassinate people. Dude, 
earthquakes. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. And you say a strange daughter, a strange because everybody thought he was dead. You know, she had spent how many years of her life believing her father has, was dead and there was no chance of ever reuniting. So when she shows up, you can see in her face this hope, this, you know, I want to connect with my dad, but he is just so heartless and cold about the whole thing. And, and I didn't make this submarine for the world. I made it for Japan. The UN can't have it. Sorry. And yet there's still just a touch of fatherly stuff sneaking in because he wants to know about the young man who clearly has some romantic interest in the daughter. Despite all that, it's like, that's, that's a really neat layered character there. I really liked it. Yes. Our heroes air quote, who want to uh, put her in a bikini and model for them. The, the photography duo of Susumu and uh, Yoshido, Susumu and uh, Makoto eventually as they're journeying to find her father, thanks to one of the other servicemen who are serving under the captain, coming to uh, pick them up. But that part I missed. Why exactly did he just come? Did he just like say, "Hey, how we doing?" Yeah. He's. It says uh, in Wikipedia that he's he was stalking Makoto. So apparently he was someone that the captain sent to always keep tabs on his daughter, even though he had his. Rear Admiral adopting her and watching her the whole time. He even sent a stalker just to be on the safe side. Yeah, so for somebody who treats her the way that he does when they first connect, he sure does seem to have a little bit of care for her, which, again, it's a layered characterization that I wasn't expecting when I got into this, when we started watching this. I mean, I really like nearly all the characters in this. There's one characterization that's a little broad and over the top and oh yeah, he's not who he says he is. It's, it's pretty obvious. But beyond that, I really was on board with all the uh, performances here. I can't help but wonder, could we have merged the high priest with the, the empress? Because it just seems yeah. the high priest is getting all the good cackling and teeming about taking over the earth. And the empress, is, her whole thing is people are brought to her and then Sacrifice to Manda! Well, hi, your royal highness. Good to know you for about five seconds before you're insisting you throw uh, the characters we love so much to Manda to eat them. Nice knowing you. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I could see that. You know, I, I, I appreciate having the two different characters, two different villainous voices, basically. But yeah, I could see that too, combining the two. That would work as well. Or at least give the Empress more screen time. It doesn't seem like, you know, yes, you get it right off the bat that... Uh, she is evil and villainous, but at the same time, there isn't the scenes of, uh, like with the high priest, where he's watching them use the uh, hood ornament of destruction, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the uh, stone dragon that they affix to the stolen submarine that they used to wipe out uh, the first wave of uh, attackers against them. You know? Right. You know, something like that of just sitting back and knowing that they've got the upper hand. She needs just like one or two more scenes to really, really seal her evil. Okay. The impression that I got is that, I mean, yeah, she she's the, the, the empress, you know, the person in charge. But it almost felt like she, in terms of who really holds the power here, she's more figurehead. Um, whereas the priests seem to be a little bit more in charge of everything. But... Maybe I'm just reading way too much into it. No, I totally agree with you. That's that's it in a nutshell. You know, especially because yeah, she is a figurehead in terms of what we see. She does you know only stuff that is figurehead related. Sacrifice to Amanda mm-hmm. coming in to antagonize 
the prisoners. You know, she doesn't have the scenes that the priest does that really helps to showcase uh, him being such a uh, menacing force. I mean, she's menacing, but more in that pure evil look. Almost to the point to where it, it feels to me like she knows that she's pretty much useless in terms of like real leadership that her final acts, she doesn't know anything else. She has nothing else to fall back on. So of course she's going to spoiler and herself <laughs> swim to her death. Basically I, I get, and I don't get what I think she really needs is just a scene showing how much she believed in her people or believed in what they were doing. Mm. Cause then when she, gotcha, cause then the scene where she throws herself and swims back to her sinking kingdom. It's just the whole, I can't accept there's anything else other than move. Gotcha. That's what they need. They needed the whole fermenting that, or even a scene with her and the priest talking where she could say, or he could be bringing the plans to her and she could be like, the way of move is the pure way or something, you know, just something like she, you gotta accentuate that this is what she believes in. And there could have been no other path for her. Gotcha. Okay. She was a fine actress. You know, I didn't have a problem with her performance at all. Just I can see where you're going with that, though, too. That makes sense. Man, there's just there's a lot to talk about here. How, how do you want to approach this? This is the first time watch for me, so I'm not as familiar with it as some. I think we need to make this more of a sell it to okay. uh, the audience to really whet their appetites because we're pretty senior monster kids ourselves, and we combined don't have a good double-digit uh, viewing history of this film. That's true. That's you true. Know, so it's unfortunately another one of those films that people come late to. Yeah. Yeah. So Atragon is the name of this really cool submarine, but it can fly kind of thing, and we're not introduced to that for quite some time. I mean, really, the story seems to be more about the Mu Empire making a play for earth we learned that Mu used earth as a colony basically that everything came from Mu, and when they sank they continued to exist they just as colonists we kind of just did our own thing we kind of forgot about them and now they're back and they want their world back but they know there's a threat out there that needs to be stopped first and that happens to be this amazing machine the titular atragon or what was the other name they were calling it uh gotengo now why why two different names the Gotengo translates to Roaring Heavens in English. Okay. The film uh, is also known as the Undersea Warship. It's actually a smush together of uh, Atlantis Dragon becoming Atragon. Okay. The Atragon is uh, courtesy of the specs on Wikizilla. I've actually did some cross comparisons and just what we're looking at here. All right. starters, one, the, the Gotengo is shown to be able to fly at Mach 2. That's actually scientifically possible, but what it was is impossible. Because 10 years ago, in the from the date of the actual release, the Mach 2 sound barrier did have its anniversary of being beaten by the Douglas D5582 Skyrocket. Okay. So they had already achieved Mach 2, but the Douglas uh, Skyrocket was 13 meters. The Gotengo is 150 meters. So in 10 years, they were able to make a ship that is 10 times the size of the previous one, same the same speed. That's yeah. insane. Oh, if you think oh about yeah. It. Also, it's uh, underwater. It is the fastest sub on the planet for decades. The Gotengo apparently has a topping uh, underwater speed of 80 knots. 
a Soviet November class ship in 1963 was clocked at 31 knots, which actually resulted in the development of the Los Angeles class uh, submarines by America. And even then, those only got to the high 40s. Wow. This thing does 80. I think we're still using uh, Los Angeles class submarines. Yeah, that's insane how the, the things it can have. Though not as insane as its ultimate weapon. <laughs> I loved that, though. That was so cool. The absolute zero cannon. <laughs> Derek, the Gotengo is more powerful than Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you doubt me. No, I, I, I believe you, but it's not something I would have considered putting... <laughs> not a comparison I would have made. Oh, wait for it. Okay. Because I can back it up with science. Okay, okay. Check this out. The show Death Battle, where they put two characters against each other and use the scientific facts to prove who would win an actual battle. Okay. Did Mechagodzilla 3, a.k.a. Kiryu, fighting the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Dragonzord. Oh, I had no idea. That's cool. Oh, yeah. And they even gave the Dragonzord its fighting mode, where it combines with the Triceratops, Sabertooth, Tiger, and Mammoth. So they gave it its full power, and Kiryu came out on top. What gave it away, really, was the Absolute Zero Cannon. Now, the Absolute Zero Ken is actually shown in the film to destroy the Prince New Tower Hotel, an actual hotel in Tokyo, with two other buildings. Okay. Doing the math for that, what the structure that they would have to destroy and all that, the Death Battle crew came out that that would take 128.2 teratons of TNT. <laughs> now, wait for it. We take that as only a tenth because the Gotengo would be an older model, and we're still looking at 12.82 tetratons of TNT. Courtesy of the Statistics of Canada website, for 2018, the entire, co the entire country produced 21,603 petajoules of energy from all known energy production resources. Okay. If you actually do, do the math on converting tetratons of TNT to petajoules, 12.82 tetratons of TNT equals 53.6 million petatrons of energy, petajoules of energy. The Gotengo is more powerful than Canada. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, amazing that you did the research. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I'd like to thank uh, the Rooster Teeth uh, show Death Battle, though. If they hadn't gone into the work of uh, looking at uh, the destructive force of uh, Kiryu's Absolute Zero Can, I wouldn't have gone so deep. But once I had those facts, and even, yeah, that's a tenth of Kiryu's power. And that's just, I mean, should I have scaled it back less? I don't, I mean, I don't know. But still, I mean, even if it is, even if you scaled it up, I mean, it's still, yeah. Let's see, even if we go by when the movies came out, we're talking about a 30-year difference. Mm -hmm. Scaling back a tenth is not that, not that much with modern technology and stuff, especially if it's a weapon base. Right. I mean, you know, I can't, even, I can't give it any more or else, you know, the growth wouldn't be feasible. Right. But yeah, once you actually put the numbers through, it was just like, yeah, the Gotengo can produce an energy weapon comparable to an entire country's energy production from two years ago, our time. That's insane. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there is one throwaway moment when 
our, I guess, heroes arrive on the hidden island where the Atricon is being built and all that, where one of the characters points out, oh, hey, look at all these natural resources up above here. So, I mean, I, I guess there's some attempt to make us believe that they had the ability to create such a weapon, but holy cow, I had no idea. Putting it in real world terms, that's insane. Yeah. I had a, I double-checked my math about three times, like, did I do a conversion wrong? Tetratons, right? I didn't put tetatons or petajoules. Peta, yep, peta. And yeah, I redid it through like three different calculators online. Well, uh, no wonder Moo is afraid of this weapon. <laughs> yeah. No wonder. It also kind of explains how the Absolute Zero can defeats uh, Manda so soundly. Yeah. Manda doesn't stand a chance once they use it. The Absolute Zero can, or in the subtitle translation, what, cold air jet? Yeah, it's, so I gotta find where the translation is actually absolute zero canon. The Wikipedia and the Wikizilla count it as the absolute zero canon, but one side of title version said the cold air canon. I think one said freeze beam, but yeah, it canonically eventually became the absolute zero canon. Right. Which again was uh, picked up, even though they don't make reference to the Gotengo, despite referencing in uh, Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, they reference both. Uh, Mothra to pull in the microwave cannon, mm -hmm. and or the Gargantuas to pull in the Mazer cannons. The Absolute Zero cannon is used, but the idea of the Mu Empire or the Gotengo does not come up. Which I guess is for the best, because if this weapon existed in those Godzilla or Kaiju films, man, they wouldn't stand a chance. Oh, no. I'm going to have to try to find this series. You said it was Rooster Teeth? Yes. Okay, I'll keep an eye out for it because I'd love to put a link in the show notes to the episode that you were just referencing. It'd be fun to look at. That's crazy. No wonder, like I said, no wonder the Mu Empire is freaked out a little bit. And, you know, this is a story point that we see in a lot of classic sci-fi, whether it's the day the earth stood still where they show up and it's like, Hey, humanity's about to do something bad. You got to knock it off. We're going to destroy you. Or even plan nine from outer space. What's the, what's the actual term? The soul solar, solar night. night where they were going to yeah. solar night. Yeah. Where they're going to ignite uh, the solar rays and the idea that another country or creature or, being comes in and says, guys, you got to watch the science or else it's going to be your death. And I find that fascinating, too, that this is a story that we're now seeing translated. And I don't know what came first in terms of story development or whatever, but it's not just a Western idea. This is something that's happening in Japan as well. The idea that we could have some technology that's so dangerous. And I suppose that even makes sense to come out of Japan, considering how the war ended over there that technology could be feared if, if not kept in check. So I get that. But I did like that. I did like that there are so many references to the fact that we dissolved the military 20 years ago because of the terms of the treaty. You know, we surrendered our military, that sort of thing. And that even comes up as well. And to me, some of my favorite kaiju films, and I'm going to put this in this camp as well, it's Tokusatsu, so it's kaiju adjacent at least. I love when they really give us more than just a monster breaking stuff. I love to watch monsters break stuff. I love me a good Godzilla movie, King Kong movie, whatever. Break those buildings. It's cool, right? But when they put these extra little levels of story and, and ideas, things to really think about, I really enjoy that. It's one of the reasons why I really like Shin Godzilla so much. There's so much commentary on the bureaucracy of how Japan works and how it could have been better. And if it was better, then maybe Tokyo wouldn't have been wiped out this time. You know, I just, I really like these little elements kind of being sprinkled in, but not so over the head that it takes you out of the fun. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I know. You're talking about little bits of world building. I think you were talking about teams, and yeah, I've always loved a good team that's formed for the specific uh, way of dealing with uh, the threats. I mean, a G-Force, mm-hmm. a Dash, a Guys, mm-hmm. a Guts, listing off different Ultraman teams. The Science Space Patrol, of course. Right, right. You've got all that in Ultraman, too, which is actually something I feel like they've kind of gotten away from, from some of the more recent Ultraman stuff, which, I mean, is okay, whatever, but... I really like having that other organization that's all they do is deal with the monsters and that's where our heroes are. I really like that. And maybe it's because it's the first Ultraman stuff I watched was like Ultraman 80. I'm talking about Ultraman and the different teams. And I love having that extra little team element as well, because it gives us a chance to have more interpersonal drama, which gives us even more story beyond monsters breaking stuff. Don't get me wrong. I like watching monsters break stuff. I think I can speak for both of us. It's one of the things we like about these movies is that the model work is so cool to see taken down by a guy in a giant rubber suit. (laughs) But we don't get a lot of that in this. No, unfortunately we didn't. But at the same time, it's subtly how he's used. Manda, though he doesn't give a chance to truly uh, rampage, you don't need him to rampage. Right. stuff. You know, the other aspects like the Mu Empire's ability to create earthquakes... The fact that they are easily able to steal ships from the ocean and then they have their own weaponized technology. That just goes to show, you know, almost how much of a threat they are. We keep a giant monster just for uh, ceremonial purposes. (laughs) Think about that, huh? Yeah, we don't even have to need him to come out and we can still kick your butts. They do call him uh, their deity at one point, which is a very Japanese monster thing. I mean, Mothra is you know, the deity for those people and all that. And, and, and I get that too. But yeah, you're right. They, it's like, well, you know, we've got this thing here. We could turn on you, but, you know, we can also make earthquakes. So uh, get under that desk and hang on because here we go. And I did like the earthquake stuff too. I, I like I said, for some watch, the first earthquake, I knew I had to do something with the story. They wouldn't just throw that in there because. I liked that it wasn't because a giant monster was doing something. It was actually the technology of the Mu Empire causing the earthquakes to happen. I like that, too. I mean, they show, uh, they show. oh, look, we've got this super city, and just, that eh, could be Photoshop. But just like, no, here come, and here's an earthquake, guys. Suck <laughs> on that. It could be Photoshop. Some of the limited reading I've done about this is that Superio wanted to do a little bit more with the, the city. He wanted to show more residential areas and things like that. But they was an incredibly short turnaround time on this film. So they didn't have a lot of time to do all Tsuburaya wanted to do. I think what we saw was amazing, as would be expected, because it's Tsuburaya, and I have yet to see Tsuburaya do anything that is not amazing. I've actually been reading Tsuburaya, uh, Master of Monsters. Oh, that's a great book. I got around to it. Uh, some, a friend gave it to me for christmas like so many years ago i finally cracked it open and been going through it oh he did a uh loss to the war he did the effect work for the bamboo cutter the story of the bamboo cutter and the princess tale of the bamboo cutter aka the story of princess kaguya okay it's a story about a bamboo cutter and his wife and they always wanted a kid and they couldn't get one and he cuts down a tree a bamboo tree and actually finds a princess inside oh Okay. And then she becomes the most eligible in the kingdom, and she eventually, eventually turns out she was belonged to the moon, and she has to go back in the end. Oh. But thanks to her family for all the kindness she was shown. But still, 
that uh, like one of the seminal tales of Japanese uh, mythology mm-hmm. done with Subaraya effects, and that film is lost oh, yeah. for all time. Just like that breaks my heart when I saw that. It's like, oh my god, this sounds awesome. Lost to the dang it. Gotta finish reading the paragraph before I get psyched up. Yeah, that's unfortunate with so many of these movies, and especially as Americans, as people in the Western world, it's even less likely we're ever going to find these things. So yeah. But, I mean, everything in this just looks great. And, again, the highlight is that submarine. And that, well, submarine slash ship slash awesome. It would appear a couple of times after the film itself. It was in uh, a uh, new version. was in uh, called the Goten. was in the War in Space. I have not seen that one. Uh, then they actually had an OVA in, the, in 1995, uh, an anime that was a loose remake of Atragon. And, of course, more recently it came back, uh, it was seen coming back in Final Wars, where it once again, it showed Manda who's boss, which was like one of the few good moments in that film. So that is the, the vehicle they have in Final Wars. That is the ship? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I don't think I knew that. Right on. That's awesome. I think this movie does have a longer legacy than I think some people might under, might realize, like you said, the, the anime stuff. And I don't watch anime, so I don't know any of this. Uh, but to know that that's out there, that's great. Man, there's just so much of it that's so good. Oh, the music, man. See, I was planning to talk about the music. I know you called me out on that, but I was planning to talk about the music. <laughs> I just had to make sure. Now, there's a very, very uh, cool militaristic vibe to a lot of it uh, with, with the march kind of creeping in there a little bit and all that. I really enjoyed that a lot. Like I said, this is one that I have on CD. It's one that I do listen to on a semi-regular basis. Uh, whenever I'm feeling like I need to hear some Shara Honda, this is my go-to. Unfortunately, according to eBay, uh, a DVD version of Atragon has become one of those rare waiting for a reprint or re-release because you can... To get a sealed DVD of this thing, it's 50 bucks. Isn't that pretty uh, common with movies that were released by Media Blasters? That's who put it out, was Media Blasters, I understand. Actually, it's ADV. But it was one of the ADV films that didn't get like a huge, oh, okay. huge picked up. Now, if the kaiju community wants to see it, it's just like, well, guys, time to pay the money. Pretty much. So I'm looking up on SoundtrackCollector.com this particular soundtrack just to see where it's available because I'm pretty sure I've got it on disc. And there's a listing for a movie called Etragon 2. Hmm. Are you familiar with this? Etragon 2? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I am I'm no idea what this is. Oh, Latitude Zero, they call Etragon 2. Oh, okay. okay. I wonder if that means that uh, Warren Space is Etragon 3 then. It's continuing the story of the Etragon. So the CD soundtrack is available, but it was available in Japan. So that's that's how I got it. Because there were a couple of years ago when I stumbled across a couple of Amazon gift cards and re- realized that Amazon Japan's website honors those gift cards. So I bought a bunch of soundtracks. So I got this one and then a whole bunch of Ultraman soundtracks. And So you can get it. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. I don't think that because it's in Japan, it's part of the Amazon affiliate program to help Monster Kid Radio. But if you want the soundtrack, I recommend picking it up. It's really good. Definitely. It's really good. It also looks like it might have been released as part of a collection with uh, some Latitude Zero and even some King Kong Escape. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Mm. Not a movie I would have put together with this one. Well, sometimes I just try to group a lot of Toho together and hope that people, you know, all want to pay for it. Well, they're right. <laughs> no, I, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to be grouping things together for sale, you know, it, 
Makes sense. So this one's going to be a little bit more difficult to track down, but I think if you do the work and you do look for it, it's going to be worth the payoff. This is a really interesting, really fun and exciting, and yet still very smart science fiction movie. This is, I think, one of my favorite movies that I've talked about with you here on the show. And we've watched a handful of kaiju films, and I like them all. Don't get me wrong, but I think this one is one of my favorites that we've talked about. You don't know what you're getting into. You just see a giant, weird-looking uh, drill ship on the cover, and there's a little dragon at the bottom. It's like, okay, where's this going? And it really has a lot of good messages to deliver, especially the idea of instead of worrying about your own problems and being focused on the local, you realize that you got to come together to fight a much bigger problem. Well, this is fiction, and, you know, nothing like that ever happens in real life. You know, when we, before we started recording, you brought that up. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, are we going to go political? You know. It's not really political. It's just human right now. we got to stick together and conquer yeah. the bigger things, guys. Watch out for each other, uh, monster kids. That's something that I think is in the best of science fiction, specifically science fiction when it comes to the monster kid material that we talk about here on the show, is that it's real easy to look at some of these things and see what the filmmakers and the storytellers are trying to tell us. And in this case, it's stop bickering. It's a worldwide thing. You don't need it just for Japan. You need it for the world. Do what you need to do to take care of everybody because we're all part of it. And that's in here too. But again, it's not hitting you over the head, making you feel like you're being preached to. It's still a really cool movie. Definitely. I highly recommend everyone check it out. Yeah. I think uh, I can speak for, for you, man. When I say we got to see it, people got to see this film. If you have a chance to see it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it uh, and see if you were affected by it the same way I was, because man, this one's good. When we're done recording, actually I'm supposed to, go edit this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, but really, I just want to sit down and watch this again. So, if an episode of Monster Kid Radio several weeks ago was late, it's Anthony's fault for introducing me to this film. <laughs> I did who with the what now? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, boy. You can keep up with Anthony in a couple of different places. He writes for a couple of different websites, like Pop Axiom, which you can find at popaxiom.com, or Monkeys Fighting Robots at monkeysfightingrobots.com. But he's also the author behind two books that we love here at Monster Kid Radio, The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack and Santa Claus Conquers Manos, The Hands of Fate. Both of these books are available through Amazon. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes and Amazon affiliate links, too. So just click on there, pick up the book, or a Kindle ebook edition as well. I want to thank Anthony for being on the show and thank him for everything that he's doing right now. He has been working out there in the world with people who could potentially have the virus. So he's keeping safe. He's taking all the precautions he needs to take. I just want to give him a huge shout out and let him know how much I respect what he's doing. Anthony, thank you for being part of the show. Let's have you back on and down the line at some point, my friend. <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla. Nothing you've ever seen can equal the thrills of this extraordinary motion picture. Nothing you've ever felt can equal its awesome fury as the mightiest monsters of the ages clash in the battle of the century. It sears the emotions with shock and terror. It staggers the imagination. All new in color. King Kong versus Godzilla. C-3PO. Loki. Mace Windu. Dr. Bruce Banner. Captain Rex. Venom. Princess Leia. 
Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. mightiest monster meets the world's mightiest menace. King Kong, bigger, stronger, more ferocious than any living creature, faces his greatest challenge in King Kong Escapes. For now, Kong meets his greatest foe, a duplicate King Kong created by an evil genius, built of indestructible super steel, 60 towering feet of invincible robot. King Kong, who can defy the might of modern artillery, tanks, missiles, the vast strength of prehistoric monsters, clashes with the Kong of Steel in the battle of the century in King Kong Escapes. All new, all thrilling, more fantastic than ever, King Kong Escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release in Technicolor. wrap up the show, I want to say thank you to the Portland Horror Film Festival's organizers, Brian and Gwen Callahan. They ran the first and hopefully the last time they have to do it, virtual version of the Portland Horror Film Festival this year. It was a four-night event with countless shorts, a number of feature films, and they managed to make sure that I was able to see the movie The Brain That Wouldn't Die, which was a remake of... um. The brain that wouldn't die. Anyway, this was a remake that was produced here in Portland, Oregon. It's something that I've been following along for a while now, and I was real curious to see how it turned out. Now, I will be preparing a review of the film for next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, so come back for that. I just wanted to say thank you to Brian and Gwen for making this movie available to everybody through the Portland Horror Film Festival. If, for whatever reason, and boy, I really hope they don't have two fingers and tentacles crossed, but if, for whatever reason, the Lovecraft Film Festival has to go virtual this year, if they're going to do it at all, depending on what's going on with the corona apocalypse and everything else, if how they ran the Portland Horror Film Festival is any indication, I'm sure they're going to do just fine. That said... I really hope they don't have to cancel it. I know it's not looking great. Disney, for crying out loud, canceled their Halloween. Yeah, they've canceled their Halloween festivities. So, oh boy, uh, it's not looking good, which 
fills me with what's the opposite of joy? I mean, like a real dark, morose, goth, blacker than black opposite of joy. That's the feeling I have when I think about Halloween getting canceled. I mean, externally, internally, Halloween lives in my heart. You guys and girls know that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio can be found in our show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Our contact information is there. Links to everything that we've talked about here on the show are there, as well as links to all the books, all the people that we've spoken with, any of their products. Everything's there, including a special thanks section where we thank our Monster Kid Radio patrons who support the show at the AIP level or higher. A number of these folks are also executive producers, meaning they support the show at the Toho level or higher. And they include Bayou Hunter, Terry Mount, Mitch Gonzalez, the Mabuse cast, Justin Giallo, Jonathan Angarella, Andy Campbell, Alistair Hughes, Anthony Wendell, Tracy and Scott Morris, Tom Greganis, Timothy Forbes, Ted Roddy, T. McKay, Steve Turk, Steve Sullivan, Paul Curtis, Karen Joan Kahotic, Jeff Owens, Jim Moore, Jerry Green, Dwayne and Jen Watson, Curtis, Charles Babbage, Tammy Anschutz, Don Evans, Dennis Brian Prather, and Ken Blows. Thank you so much for all of your support through Patreon. Listeners, if you want to become a patron of Monster Kid Radio, just hop on over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. Check out the various tiers we have, see if there's any rewards there that you like, and help support the show continue to be what it is, and maybe even become something more. One of the rewards that I'm most proud of is available through the Hammer tier of support. If you are a Hammer patron or higher, you receive a monthly original bingo card created by me. It's to be used when watching a classic monster movie. Every month you get a different bingo card. So the more months you support Monster Kid Radio at the Hammer level or higher, the more bingo cards you'll receive. And you use them playing a game of bingo or even blackout bingo if you want. Each space has something that you might see in a classic monster movie, like a robot, stop-motion animation, maybe you can see the wires, things along those lines. Like I said, every month is going to be slightly different, and I hope you guys and gals enjoy it. Also, here in a few days, if you are a universal-level patron or higher, you'll be receiving your private monster sausage vlog. Yeah, there's a story behind that. Anyway, it is a day in the life of a Monster Kid style video that I put together and make available to our Universal patrons or higher. The link to our Patreon page is on our website, as well as everything that's coming up for Monster Kid Radio, including this weekend's Social Distance Saturday streaming, screaming, screening, whatever you want to call it. I call it Social Distance Saturday or The Maddest Story Ever Told. That's because we're going to be showing the movie Spider Baby this weekend on Saturday, in addition to a number of other really cool films like Little Shop of Horrors, Torture Ship, and the final three chapters of the serial The Crimson Ghost. I'm sure we're going to sneak some other things in there as well. The pre-show starts at 11 a.m. The movies themselves start around noon. There is a live chat that goes the entire time. It is Pacific time. You've got at least nine hours of movies and TV shows to watch. So feel free to join us over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. If you do have a Twitch account, please consider following Monster Kid Radio. If you don't, please consider signing up for Twitch. It's free. And then follow Monster Kid Radio. The more followers we have, the better off we do on Twitch. The more support we get, the bigger and better we can make that Twitch stream. Right now, we're trying to get 
50 viewers at the same time. The max that we've had in the Twitch stream is a total of 47 people. We're trying to get up to 50. Please consider joining us. If nothing else, watch a movie or two. That's happening on Saturday. You know what's happening on next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio? We're going to be joined by Tom Greganis from Go Forth and Game, and we're going to be talking about the movie Bride of the Gorilla. Bride of the Gorilla with Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney, Raymond Burr, and Tom Conway. The dramatic story of a strange curse that brought terror to a man and frenzy to a woman in love. Don't go away. You do love me, don't you? That's all I need to know. Well, you're standing in my way, and Dina's. We love each other. What are you going to do about it? Did you see this animal? Yes, I have seen the animal. It walks in his hind legs. Like a man? No, like a beast that walks like a man. Oh, let's go back, Bonnie, please. I'll never go back. Never. Stop. Go on. Why don't you shoot? You can't miss. Directed by Kurt Siodmak. Stars Lon Chaney Jr. and Raymond Burr and Barbara Payton. That is quality. And I can't wait to share that conversation that I had with Tom with you guys and gals next week here on the show. And hey, check this out because we're talking about Bride of the Gorilla next week on the show. You know what that means? The following Saturday for that weekend's Social Distance Saturday, we'll actually be showing Bride of the Gorilla. So stay tuned for all of that. Before wrapping up, I want to say that I know that right now with everything going on in the world, conventions getting canceled, everybody's struggling with work and quarantine and everything else. This pandemic has been a nightmare for a lot of people. And it's not necessarily been all roses over here either at Monster Kid Radio Central. So I just want to say to everybody who's reached out to me, thank you for your support. Thank you for being part of the community. I really hope that Monster Kid Radio and what we do is enjoyed by you guys and gals as much as I enjoy producing the show, chatting with people, getting to know folks, making friends, and talking monster movies with some of the best podcast listeners in the world. Thank you for being, well, there for me. Really appreciate it. Also, thank you to the band, the Evan Stones, who allowed us to play the song Shoot Up at the OK Canal. It is from their new album, 1961. You can find them at the-evanstones.bandcamp.com or their website, theevanstones.com. I'll make sure there's links to both in the show notes. Thanks to the band for letting us play their music here on the show. Go check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. And like I said, shoot up at the OK Canal is copyright 2020, the Evanstones. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we talk about Bride of the Gorilla. Ciao.
Ah. Uh-huh.